Podcast 084, Alexia Allen. Sponsored by my buddies at PantryParatus.com. They sell food preservation tools. Produce, prepare, preserve your own harvest. All right. So, uh, you know, I saw I saw a rabbit over there, and and it was a fluffy white rabbit. What kind of rabbit was it? It's a lion head rabbit. I got her from someone who was moving out of town in my spinning guild because she's got usable fiber on her, but she's gone feral. Oh, so you can't even draw her near with, well, I was going to say treats, but I, your place is so covered in rabbit treats. <laughs> She is catchable. She has been caught before, but she's pretty aloof. She's just kind of queen of the yard, and she roams around decoratively, and she actually seems to keep the cottontails out of the uh, vegetable patch, so she's kind of our guard rabbit here. <laughs> okay, that's that's a first for me, a guard rabbit. Um, <laughs> but I, I, my first thought when I saw a rabbit was I was thinking, okay, Alexia is raising a rabbit, and she's going to eat it later. But then I thought, man, that's a pretty magnificent rabbit. Rabbit, and it looks so cool bouncing around on the turf. Mm-hmm. So uh, maybe she'll keep it around. Yeah, that's pretty much the animated bunny slipper. And she hops in and out of the sheds and like surprises us in the garden and frolics in the moonlight. Um, so, so far she's surviving. She seems super happy. And, uh, yeah, it's good to have her around. So I'm with Alexia Allen, and we're in Woodenville, Washington. And um, uh, Alexia has been in uh, a few of my videos. And um, uh, about a couple months ago, I said, oh, Alexia, I'll, so many of my people want you in a podcast. And, and you expressed to me that, uh, oh, no, you're just too shy. And, and, and that you're, um, for whatever reason, it's like, no, 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 I don't think I want to do that. Maybe in a few years. And, and somehow things changed. And, and you said, okay, I'll do it. Um, and I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that I've just gotten mountains and mountains of positive comments. In fact, just before coming over to your house this morning, like an hour before coming over to your house, I checked my email. And uh, I get emails every time somebody writes a comment on any video um, out there. And I got one based on the Respectful Chicken Harvest video, for which there are currently 45,000 views. Um, And the comment was, I love her, marry me, which, you know, you would think would be really wild, except for the fact that I think that there's about 20 or 25 marriage proposals in in that video. Um, so uh, uh, I, you got a lot of suitors out there, I guess. I don't know that I can really effectively comment on that. <laughs> so uh, in the world of, uh, of permaculture, homesteading, and that kind of thing, um, I guess I guess you're our, our superstar, and uh, I would be the uh, the the paparazzi, I, I guess. Um, <laughs> which now I feel dirty. <laughs> um, but but I'm here. I'm here getting an interview. Yay! Gosh, I'm going to get promoted. Um, but you're you're the the superstar. The uh, the, I don't know, what would you call, I'm trying to think of, like, who are the women superstars in Hollywood right now. I, I'm not. I, I'm at a loss. Yeah, okay. And I'd hesitate to bill myself that way because I'm really just having fun and enjoying life and eating well. So those are kind of my benchmarks there. 
Uh, and, and we'll get into that and a lot of uh, through the podcast here in a moment. <clears throat> and one of the things was is that we uh, out of Permis, I posted a thread saying I'm about to interview. Uh, Alexia Allen, and does anybody have any questions? And so there were gobs and gobs of questions. Um, and I, I hope to be able to, before I leave today, to um, wander around with you and maybe get some video of some of the things. I mean, just walking through your kitchen, I saw at least a dozen projects going on there. I saw uh, sunflower seeds being dried. Uh, I saw uh, wool. Was it, was it wool that was being dyed? Yes, hand-spun yarn that I then dyed with lichens from around here and elsewhere. So lichen dyed. Um, and I think I saw some walnuts. Yep, walnuts gathered from the local area and rose hips and got a housemate making balsam root syrup and elderberry syrup. We just had a huge cider pressing project. It's harvest season here. Right, and that was the first thing I noticed walking into the house was it smells like apple juice. <laughs> and I can see, uh, I, I, I can see uh, uh, squash piled up. Oh, hundreds of pounds. This was my winter squash year. I thought, I'm going to try to grow all my winter squash. I absolutely love eating it. So I've got crates and crates and crates stacked up inside the house carrying. So now I know that <clears throat> I have probably at least a half a dozen things to bring up. But, but before I get into my greedy stuff, I thought maybe we could start off with um, uh, some of the questions that we had piled up in the permaculture forum out at permies.com. And the first one uh, is uh, from Burra uh, Maluka. I don't know how to pronounce her last name, <clears throat> but she's one of the staff at Permies. And she says, I'd like to know what motivates her. Does she have a philosophy of life that she follows or a set of ethics, or does she just follow her heart and live each day as it comes? Wow, well, those both sound good. Um, the question itself really sounds pretty <laughs> <Yeah>. awesome. <laughs> Everybody else in the world wishes that they could be asked that same question. Yeah, I would say that it's both in that I wake up and I'm like, hmm, what do I want to do today? And then I also have this, um, I think I'm motivated by a sense of gratitude, ultimately. Like, wow, I'm really glad to be alive and noticing all the things that support me. And that's pretty much everything um, and going from there. So one of the models I've, I've learned through my work at Wilderness Awareness School is this sense of thanksgiving and this gratitude. It's just one of the core routines that we practice there. And I think that's where I try and come from philosophy-wise. Like, hey, I really am grateful to be on this particular patch of earth. What can I do to help it? I'm really grateful to breathe this clean air. Maybe I won't drive as much. So coming from there seems to help guide my choices day-to-day -day and long-term. <clears throat> wow. So um, uh, I, I think that it does seem like, you know, do, do you feel like your life is just freaky awesome and that you're freaky, you know, it's just, it's just like you've got to somehow you've stumbled into something that's like the top 1% of awesomeness for the world? Mm, I hope it's not the top 1% of awesomeness <laughs> for the world. I find my life really enjoyable and rich, which is not to say that it's all smiles and sunshine every day or every moment. Like, man, I go through rough times and I have all sorts of crises, large and small, but being able to maintain that sense of gratitude and like, hey, 
you know, I am part of the natural world. These cycles come and go. Ultimately, I am enjoying being a human being, figuring my life out, and being able to pass it on to the future generations. I think a lot of my listeners would <clears throat> um, think, look at what you got going on here and think that, uh, that, that it is indeed the top 1%, if not even, you know, higher than that. Um, I mean, like, you know, what you're doing is what they, where they wish to be. And a lot of them either uh, don't have land and they're seeking it or else um, uh, they have land and they are um, drowning under the burdens of mortgage and things of that nature and they're, they're struggling to find a better path. So um, I, think, I think that we're going to get into this later about, you know, how you have found a path that is remarkably easy for you and, and instead of, like, you're waking up in the morning and thinking this is what I have to do. It's more like getting up in the morning with the idea of like I can do anything I want. I don't have to do anything. And you <laughs> grinning all big like you're gonna pop. <laughs> all right. <clears throat> Let's move on to the next question. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> uh and Janine Gurley, and and I have to spell her last name because it sounds like I'm saying Gurley like 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 a little girl, but it's G U R L E Y. Uh, asks, I would guess that she does a lot of cooking with quote weeds or plants that most of us are not familiar with. I would be interested in that. Uh, and then it looks like a, a series of questions. And then what about herbs? Does she prepare, use, grow herbs? See, I haven't all that footage I took the last time I was here. I haven't put a lot of that up yet so they don't know um like you know a chickweed i've got i remember i keep wanting to, to you know but i'm trying to get like like five or six experts together on chickweed and so now i've got you and one other person with chickweed and i'm thinking i just need a few more people and then i'll put out this whole video with a bunch of people on chickweed um so anyway, uh, she does look like a very interesting person that we can learn a lot from. Often those of us that who uh, live in the contemporary world are not yet wise enough to know the right questions to ask. Um, I did use her holding technique the last time I butchered, and it was my, so much better. Uh, the bird remained calm right to the end, and that was very important to me. All right, so the question seems to be about cooking of weeds and plants that most of us are not familiar with. And what about herbs? Love it. Boy, I've sort of looked around my garden and I thought, why battle the slugs? You know, I'm not going to plant spinach when lamb's quarters is coming up left and right. So in that sense, using those weeds and even having those weeds growing in my garden makes perfect sense. I love it. They plant themselves. They're super hardy. They have so much nutrition and vitality in them. So absolutely. And out behind the kitchen, got my little herb garden with chives and sage and all sorts of culinary herbs that I love. And being able to have them fresh and growing right there is really important to me. I love my plants. So I know that when I was here last time, it did seem like, I mean, one thing I saw, you had, I, I got video of you with the largest dandelion I'd ever seen in my life. And the, the, you pulled off a leaf. The leaf was almost as tall as you. <laughs> and then you folded it up and ate it. And then you were talking about, this one's not as good as the leaves that are a little bit more smooth edged. The jaggedy edged ones tend to be a little bit more bitter. And I don't like them as much. Mm-hmm. Um, so, But are there other plants that other people might not put in their mouth that you are like, 
every day? It's like a daily thing. Ooh, um, lamb's quarters is one of my favorites. And I actually eat a fair amount of sow thistle in the springtime, even though it's prickly because I chop it up and cook it. So I would say those are some of my staples here. Um, Yeah, lamb's quarters, I think, is definitely a welcome addition to my garden. And I even save some of the seeds and scatter them around. Wow. I, I think uh, that might be the first time I've ever heard anybody spreading seeds mm-hmm. for lamb's quarters. I've, I've known of a lot of people that eat them, but but not spread the seeds. Um, <clears throat> now, when you prepare them, are you steaming them, or are you putting cooking them with uh, chicken fat, or what? Mm, well, nothing wrong with greens and chicken fat. Uh, eggs plus greens is one of my favorite Hawthorne Farm meals, because I can pretty much make it completely from ingredients that grow here, so... That's always popular. All right. Um, I think for her, so this is somebody who's got a pseudonym. I can't. It has no pronunciation. It's a bunch of letters. Uh, I think for her, it's life philosophy. It's the same for me, but I'm not at her level. Uh, I have a smallish crush on her too, <laughs> but uh, it's mostly a crush on her knowledge and skill. <clears throat> oh yes, okay, all right, that's good then. That didn't seem like a question. Okay, questions for the chicken lady. So you're also known in this area. So I, I did get re- about five emails from people that said, "Oh, I live in the Woodenville area, and I've heard of the chicken lady, and it's <laughs> nice to see what she looks like, and she's awesome." <laughs> so uh, yes, you are. You weren't just making that up. You really are known in the area as the chicken lady. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Maybe I'm surprised we don't have a. I know that the questions that I see here aren't all like chicken questions. They're all like they're all really interested in like uh, uh, other things. But um, let's see. Oh wait, this, this next question is indeed a chicken question. Uh, was harvesting chickens always part of her business? How did it come about? Boy, now I'm guessing that it's not really a business. It's just right. more like the way you live. It that that's definitely true. I haven't sold a chicken. But I guess I should go with a little bit of history, how I was vegetarian for a long time, started wanting to eat meat, figured I'd better learn how to process chickens if I was going to do that. And, hmm, I I can't really say that I sort of have a talent for it necessarily, but it just has become what I do. Um, Hmm. Well, you yeah. do it, yeah. but it's not like it's not like what you do. I mean, I don't think of it as like what you do. I think of it as like this is a thing that you do. This is like probably not even one percent of your life. Right. It's just it's. I mean, you do. There's there's probably a list of a thousand things that make up what you do. Mm-hmm. So it's not. Whereas for a lot of people, it's like what you know. Well, what do you do? <laughs> <laughs> I kill chickens. <laughs> Well, I mean, it's just what I'm known for. It seems a little unusual somehow for what, for whatever reason, killing chickens isn't a big part of this culture, wasn't a part of my upbringing necessarily, but I, it just seems like a really useful thing to do. I tried to go about it in the best way I know how and eat well. That's kind of what it all boils down to for me. Maybe after these videos and whatnot, people, you know, you'll still have the chicken lady, but you'll also be referred to as that woman that all the men lust after because of, you know, and and Woodenville. I I don't know. It's like, uh, uh, does any other woman have as many suitors as you? Um, 
All right, so uh, we I think I think that we covered that. Uh, the, how chickens is part of your business, and how did it come about? Uh, do we cover how did it come about? I mean, it seems like you just started raising chickens. I'm, I'm assuming started raising chickens for eggs, and then sort of if you if I have fluffy little baby chicks, that means at some at some point I'm going to have to deal with old chickens. So this whole little cycle of life thing going on. And raising the meat chickens has been really valuable for my community in the sense that, oh, wow, I have this freezer full of chickens. They make great hostess gifts. Like people who can't otherwise eat chicken can handle eating mine because they're so clean and healthy, the birds that I raise. So that's really satisfying to me. I'm able to give back to people in a tangible way by raising chickens. And it's good for my pastors. So this is, these questions are from Adam Gilliford, um, and, as the, and the, uh, Adam's next question is, is uh, do you do anything with the blood, feathers, other harvest material? Ooh, well, try and use most of the chickens for sure um, and compost the rest, although as mentioned in the videos, I usually stick the chicken heads up around to sort of keep watch on things and get a little memento mori there. So the next question is from somebody who's got a pseudonym I can't pronounce. Um, I would like to know what she considers the most important skills, and I would like to know how one goes about learning this skill set, assuming that one is starting from no knowledge or skills. Well, I pretty much started from no knowledge or skills, essentially. And I would say what's helped me the most, and that's really all I can speak to. I don't have a lot of advice for the wider world, or I cannot say that there's anything anyone else should do. But for myself, awareness and time, quality attention, just making those things a priority has been the most important thing. Because everybody's place is different, and everybody's situation is different. So for me, just taking the time each day to sit out and notice the natural world, notice the world outside, has really been a guiding force in me, learning the skills and becoming more a part of my place. What's the weather doing? What are the birds doing? Which plants are germinating when? And being able to model my life and my farm after those cycles. To me, that sort of boils down some of the essence of permaculture, at least in terms of fitting into this bioregion, this latitude, and uh, did I mention eating well? Yeah. <laughs> so in permaculture, I, I know that um, <clears throat> there's, there's some different discussion of different techniques, but it, it seems like all of the permaculture techniques seem to have a, a, a lot of emphasis on observe, mm -hmm. and it seems like you kind of said that, but you said it more poetically. <laughs> I love observing. It's very satisfying in and of itself, um, and there's no substitute for it. As I've spent the years here at my place, it kind of dawned on me that human attention is a nutrient, like just in terms of what flourishes. Um, it's what we humans pay attention to and notice and care for, at least for me, and uh, that's been one of my... Uh, really intriguing ideas to play with as I tend to this place. Wow, I never heard. I, I've never heard of that before. I think that is a very good point. Um, and and I like to think of permaculture as being like uh, you take the nature, 
uh, packaged the way it is, mm-hmm. and then your mission in life is to be a steward of that and to nudge it, not mm-hmm. not trash it like we mm-hmm. see most people do. Like, I'm going to put in a garden with rows. I'm going to totally obliterate everything that's there, but instead to kind of nudge and encourage and, and create symphonies and seed and soil. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I think I made that up myself. <laughs> So the next question comes from somebody who uses the name Permifan. Um, I see this name a lot. In fact, I think somebody ponied up for my recent Kickstarter thing with a bunch of money under Fano Permies or something like that. Maybe that's the same person. Uh, but uh, the question is, which doesn't seem like a question. It seems like a collection of statements, but let's, let's see how it goes. Uh, when I watched the video, she said something about some of the life lessons she had learned from this process, and I was wondering if she could elaborate. It was the burning question I had for her after I saw that video, so it would make a great follow-up to get her to elaborate on what she was alluding to. Wow. Well... This definitely veers into the philosophical side of things. So, folks, take it how you want here with as much salt as you like. Um, but I would say that that killing animals has been hugely important in my life. And I guess I can sound controversial or um, difficult, and it is really difficult. It ought to be. But... For me, being part of that process, which is such an intimate process, I started to get the sense that the animals were not afraid of death in and of itself. Death is nothing to fear. You don't want to be stressed out. You don't want to be roughly handled. You know, you don't want to be crudely treated or disrespected. But death? Well, you know, that's... that's an okay thing and that understanding gave me so much courage because if they're not afraid of death and I'm essentially an animal too do I need to be afraid of it so uh, that's given me a lot of bravery if I'm not afraid to die well then why should I, why should I be afraid to go talk with city council about water quality in the area why should I be afraid to try this experiment of how people live why should I be afraid to put seeds in the soil so I think in that sense I'm really really grateful to all the animals not only have they fed me physically but I really got that life lesson from them that has been one of the most important things for me and for me in being more courageous and stepping out and stepping up for what I believe in. Does that make sense? It does. Okay. And, and, um, so something I put into a lot of my um, presentations, um, and I've mentioned it on the forums several times, is the idea that wherever you have a plethora of life, 
there is an equal amount of a plethora of death. And I think that um, how animals are harvested is really important, and to do a respectful harvest is a huge and noble thing. And I think that um, uh, I know that in my presentation I've done this, and, I, and in, during the presentation I invite questions, and this is the pre presentation for landscape, uh, uh, animals in the landscape or the, the chicken presentation that I have. <clears throat> And the, and the thing is, is the one slide that I have where I say I don't allow any comment. I'm going to say my thing and move on. And I'm going to say it poorly now because I don't have a slide to read. <laughs> I don't have a slide to look at to remind me of what I say. But I, I do think that in any community there's typically like only one or two people who will do the harvest. And people are like, oh, I just can't do that. I just can't go there. And I can't do that. And I'm sorry, if, if, you, if we have people that do it and do it well and do it with respect, and we have people that don't do it, then I think we've just divided the community. And then we have the people who have earned the respect of the community, and we have the people that have not earned the respect of the community. And I really think that the people who do the respectful harvest, I mean, should be treated I mean, exceptionally respectful. I mean, granted, there needs to be, for any community to succeed, there needs to be respect all the way around. But on the other hand, um, uh, I've, I've seen too many places where I've gone, and it's like the people who are willing to do this and do it well are treated poorly. And I would imagine that <clears throat> if we were to go back 500 years to the same chunk of land and find those people, I would imagine that those people that did respectful and decent um, and, and maybe this is just my imagination. Um, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to qualify all this and say this is purely what's in my head, that those people did earn the greatest respect from their community. Um, so anyway, that's, that's my thing. And, and now that I've said it, I'd like to hear where you think it's stupid or not stupid. <laughs> I don't know that I can qualify or, or comment to that degree. For myself, I... Mm, I have never imagined that, oh, I should get X amount of respect for doing this particular thing, for killing animals in the way that I do. It's just been like, well, there's a need in my community. This is something I feel good about learning to do, so I'm going to do it. I love it when people come help. It's been a really powerful experience for a lot of people around me. Um, people I've, you know, just met come here and they bring their chickens and we kill them and people have a very tangible, visceral experience of what that's like and tears run down their cheeks and they appreciate life more. And that's all great. This is simply what I can offer and there are other people in my community who offer other wonderful things. But something that I do value is that my community appreciates it. So for sure I get, I do get respect and acknowledgement um, and thank yous for, for doing this. I wonder if there's something that's built into us that respects the person that does this respectful harvest. And so that 
when we see it done and done well and done respectfully that you know it, it, it triggers that in us and hence all the marriage proposals that appear on that video but maybe that you know embedded behind the marriage proposal is just this deep respect for that's doing it right that's you know and so so basically there's a challenge and and you've met the challenge and most people shrink away from the challenge and so um and then of course there's also a lot of dumb fucks out there that you know they're presented with the challenge and they're you know they they, they strap on their their you know baseball cap and <laughs> i'm gonna kill me some chickens yeah and then they're just, you know, it, it is not respectful. It's just processing, and it's and it's more for comedy or or whatever. It, it, it doesn't. Well, anyway. All right, I probably I'm not get all serious about it either. I'm like, there's plenty of morbid humor in what I do, and um, there's also just a sense of practicality. Like, hey, if we're going to eat this, let's understand it. And we've got this vertebrate bias, like. Okay, we're talking, we've spent all this time talking about respectful killing of animals. I would hazard that why not take the time to do everything respectfully? So that's just the question I would have for to sort of fire back there. Okay, all right, all right. That, that, and that is a very good point. I, I think that uh, respect, you know, for a lot of the earth. As well for a lot of the plants, for a lot of, and then in the video you mentioned something about uh, the vertebrate, vertebrate bias between the carrot and mm-hmm. the chicken, um, and uh, and you know into the video we saw I saw a lot of uh, vegan response, mm-hmm. and. Um, a lot of it, a lot of it, also saying like, okay, well, I'm still sticking to the vegan package, but seeing this brings great comfort to me to just the idea that, yeah. So there was there was a lot of that too. Next question from Just Tony. <clears throat> oh, pseudonyms. Um, uh, uh, what is the most powerful thing a person can do to improve soil with hand tools? <laughs> I don't know why they're asking that question. <laughs> I uh, wish I had a great answer for you. So I don't really know. I haven't experimented fully. I'll, I'll try. And and so I, I think that the most powerful thing a person can do is to, like, you know, uh, is with it, even with, you could have the hand tool in your hand or you could set it down, mm-hmm. and that is to just gain knowledge. I, I think that uh, for so many things out there, just having more junk in your head really makes a big difference. Because, like, if you think about it, for a lot of the stuff that I hear you say you do and for the things I've seen you do, it's kind of like, oh, lamb's quarters, and I'm going to eat those. They, they grow by themselves. I don't even have to plant them. I didn't have to pull out a tool mm-hmm. and do something to the soil in order to be able to get the lamb's quarters to grow mm-hmm. it's doing fine on its own and I eat that because it's in my brain and I know mm-hmm. and and then sometimes when I see it bolting and going to seed I, it's like I can collect the seeds and fling mm-hmm. and now I'll have more and and no tool was picked up <laughs> Right. So um, I would. Uh, so that's my answer to the question, even though I wasn't asked, and I'm just so arrogant and obnoxious that I'll stick my opinion in where it doesn't belong. All right. Next question. Oh, these. So here's a collection of questions from Nancy Sutton, and she manages to usually ask really good questions. Uh, has she noticed any particularly beneficial plant associations in her polycultures? I, I told them about your polycultures, mm-hmm. and they are. They're awesome polycultures. Some of the best I've ever seen. Uh, 
Tips that could save us some trial and error time. Favorite plants. Irrigation. Oh, there's the question. There are several questions all in one gob, and then there's more after this. Wow. I would say that I am constantly experimenting, and I have plenty of great successes and plenty of spectacular failures. I don't always take the time to fully track either one of those and figure out the whys and wherefores. So I think I would sum it up with this crazy idea, which is ask the plants. And maybe I'll just leave it at that. Ask the plants. Okay, now, see, I once knew a woman who who told me she could talk to the plants, and that she did not seem as loopy as other people, as you would think, who say that they talk to the plants. I mean, this woman was a very well-grounded woman, and, and so she was sure that she could, in a way, communicate with them. And, and um, I, frankly... I'm very skeptical about this kind of thing, but I, I actually believed her, and and it wasn't like oh, like the plant speaks the English language or something like that. But I do think that there's a lot that can be read from a plant based on how it's behaving at the moment, mm-hmm. and and then I I think that um, there's a lot that we basically tell a plant based upon what we lay next to it, like maybe manure or or something. Um, it isn't exactly uh, a, a verbal conversation, but I, I, you know, and she wasn't saying that it was verbal or not verbal or anything like that. And um, so there's a little bit of a mystic in there, but at the same time, I felt like, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm believing it. I'm buying it that she does. I don't know how. I'm not pursuing that path for myself, mm-hmm. but okay. So these well-informed guesses. Like, hey, I've done my research. I've spent some time in the garden. I see which plants prefer which moisture levels or soil conditions, and then just kind of intuitively start sticking them together. How about that? Do you have one that's the one that you stick together, like an example of something to stick together? Ah, uh, boy. I was sure doing well with garlic and weeds last time. Sunflower seeds and beans have been really fun to grow together. And then just big greens and medleys, big happy weed patches with borage and chard and beets and kale and everything else all mixed in there. Chickweed. Can't forget the chickweed. (laughs) All right. Next question. Um... I wonder how much acreage she has and how much of her food it supplies her. And this comes and she's she's referencing a podcast that uh I recently put out. I don't know, do you know Norris Tomlinson? Mm-hmm. No. This is a fellow who has an urban lot down in Portland mm-hmm. and he's been carefully measuring how much food he consumes total. And he weighs everything he brings in the house from those gardens. And this urban lot is 0.2 acres, and it's like pretty much every square foot is growing some kind of food. Mm-hmm. So um, after five and a half years, he has figured out that he can average for a year 750 calories per day of food. So um, he can feed half of a tiny person. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and so, but he believes that in five and a half more years, he can optimize this to feed one tiny person. So, and of course, there's a lot of variables in there and stuff like that. But you know, just giving you a quick rough idea. So, I can see why she's asking you the question. And so, let me give you a chance to answer instead of babbling on about somebody else. Hmm. Well, I have this game that I play, which is eating something that I grew every day. 
Maybe that's the spoonful of chicken fat that I fry an onion in. Maybe that's me wandering through the ever-bearing raspberry patch. Maybe that's cooking up a winter squash. Maybe that's pulling a chicken out of the freezer. Maybe that's eating a handful of dried blueberries or some lamb jerky. And then as I've been doing that, my sense is, okay, I want to increase the proportion of food that I eat each day and also grow enough of a diversity, not just for food, but other calorie needs. How many beeswax candles can I make? How can I manage this wood lot so that I can heat with wood and cook with wood so that there's this sense of all these needs kind of simultaneously being met? So consequently, I haven't focused on the food as much, um, but it's something I continue to expand. I have 2.8 acres, and I try and keep it in a really rich patchwork of things. I have pasture where I've been raising chickens and lambs, and the horses go out there and eat too, um, and then plenty of garden space that continues to increase. I'm not much of a gardener, and I don't like to spend a lot of time managing plants intensively. So I think as I just gain the skill and am able to pay more attention, I'll be able to figure out what to grow where and just walk out and harvest it. And that's kind of what I'm shooting for. So more and more food for sure from here. And I would say I probably eat, oh, I don't know, 10 to 25% of my food over the course of the year from here without really trying. Like I don't, I don't focus on it intensively, and sometimes that's meals made completely with what grows here. Sometimes that's just a little bit of what grows here, plus, you know, what my roommates have been able to to bring back um, from their foraging. So depends, but I eat well. I love food. So <clears throat> currently, ten to twenty-five percent. How many years have you been here now? I've been living here eight years and growing odds and ends throughout much of that time, but really only focusing on the food aspect um, over the past maybe three years and most intensively the past year. And there are things happening here, like I've planted nut trees several years ago. So I'm figuring, okay, that's going to take a while, but eventually I'll be able to get a lot more of my calories from this, from the actual sunlight that hits this 2.8 acres. <laughs> that is so cool. <laughs> so whereas Norris's mission was right from the very beginning, like, you know, I want to build the amount of, you know, pounds of food per acre that I pull off of this land. I'm going to, I'm going to fast track it and get there just as quick as I can. You're, you've been far more casual. Mm-hmm. Plus a lot of the food that you get since, since your day job was and a little bit is, um, uh, being a wilderness extru- instructor, I, I imagine there's a fair amount of like, um, uh, um, food that you get from wild harvesting that's off of your land of, um, uh, uh wild edibles that are the, of the plant variety as well as probably some that are of the meat variety. Is that accurate? Yeah, that sounds about right. And I love the casual approach. I'm like, oh, I do have time. You know, it's, I don't have to rush through all of this. You know, as the years go on, I'll keep understanding more. I can have a relaxed pace. I don't need to do everything right away. I think I used to think that way, and it would kind of stress me out and keep me from actually getting stuff done. Now when my time feels a little more expansive, and, hey, I'll dig this vegetable bed now, and, you know, hey, I'll I'll do this, and I'll rest in this season, and I'll work really hard and wake up at 4 in the morning in the summertime to do this, 
That has really helped. Again, it's just in keeping with those natural cycles. So whereas some people, um, I, I mean, I kind of feel like when I talk to Norris, he's very excited about his mission, and he's very passionate about it, and he works very hard all the time to get from point A to point B and prove what can be done and document it thoroughly. He has a massive spreadsheet showing every bit of what he ate every day for the last you know year and a half or something. So um, on the other hand, what I'm sensing from what you're saying is, is it's like in 10 years you might get to the point where you 90% of your diet is being met off of this land, but it's like, yeah, you'll get there when you get there. And it's it's more about today I feel like doing this and today I feel like doing that. And, and it's like if, if self-sustaining food stuff comes along, which it does a lot because that just seems cool, you do that. But if, you know, going and, and playing somewhere all, sounds better, then you'll do that instead. Yeah, sometimes I wish I had a little more diligence around things like, okay, how many pounds of winter squash am I actually getting and how many hours did I spend out there? And so I admire that. That's great and definitely important research. I just um, have taken a more relaxed approach. And I also focus on a lot of other things in my life. I have so many things going on in terms of, you know, I want to spend time working with wool. I want to spend time working with my horses. I have a vast network of human relationships to tend to and maintain. And that all feels really good to me, too. So, yeah, it'll all work out. Um, one of the words that's in, in this question, uh, so I see the part about favorite plants and... And we talked about that. Um, and then one of one of the uh, uh, words that was used was irrigation. Mm-hmm. Um, do you use any irrigation? Not if I can help it, which sort of results in a in a Darwinian approach to gardening sometimes. Um, but I've been pretty lucky with what I plant where and just maintaining the soil so that stuff doesn't need a lot of water. If it's a favorite, favorite plant and it's looking a little peaky, I will go water it, but then I make a mental note, eh, don't plant this in that place again. <laughs> so, yeah, I try and take advantage of gray water and such when I can for the high water lovers and then plant other stuff elsewhere. Seems to be doing okay. <clears throat> so my my notes contraption is saying that it's um, thirsty for electricity, and, and so I'm going to let it go to sleep. So the last bit that I collected off of that list was um, please thank her for us um, and, and uh, uh, for sharing all that you shared and they are uh, um, and I know, for, I've heard from at least a hundred people that they are so grateful for the, the, the content that, that they've uh, seen with you in it. Um, so now that my contraption shut off, I don't have questions from others so much and so now we've got to venture into the things that I think are the most critical and 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 the first questions that I have um, are where I am going to butt my nose where it doesn't belong I'm going I want I want to talk about um, I uh, your the the more about the expenses, uh, the more about the, uh, the the monetary aspect of how you choose to live your life, which, which from what little I've been able to gather, which is extremely little, and I'm just guessing at so much, um, I think that you have a recipe that um, is going to be critically important to share. 
and uh, um, it's a te- I mean, I want to think of it as a template for others. So many people, I, I hear from so many people that want to live in the country, but they can't afford it because they are, uh, they wake up every morning and they have to go to work. Because if they don't go to work, then they won't be able to pay all the things that they have to go and pay for. Um, <clears throat> um, a lot of people live uh, in the country, and but they're still going to work. And they're still struggling to be able to pay their mortgage and pay their bills and, and everything else. And, and yet they they desperately want freedom. And I and I think that um, you have a recipe that could work for almost anybody. And and um, you know it's it's a trade off. Mm-hmm. And and with this trade, there is a sense of freedom. You don't get up in the morning and think I have to go to work um, to pay the mortgage and pay all my bills. And I have no choice. Um, instead, you're in a position where um, you have a choice every day. And every morning you get up, it's not a matter of, like, I have to go do things to pay the bills. It's more like what sounds fun. Every, not just on, on vacation for two weeks out of the year or just on weekends, but every day. Mm-hmm. And now I'm going to enter the world of speculation about how you've mastered this without asking you directly. Okay. I suspect, because now when I've come here the first time, you told me that um, you sleep out on the porch a lot because, you know, it's a, a, a cloudless night. You get to see the stars, and um, if it rains, you just move inside three feet, uh, you know, where you're basically in something that looks like a living room. And it seems like at the same time you have a lot of company, people coming by all the time. It's kind of a almost a community farm, you know. And, yeah. And so um, based on my, my observations, and I'm going to play Sherlock Holmes a little bit here, I believe you don't have a bedroom here of your own. Is that accurate? That is true. I just drag my little sleeping bag to wherever I happen to want to sleep on any particular night, whether that's in the rafters of my um, oven oven structure or whether that's a corner of the living room. And I should give you some backstory, too, and also the disclaimer that I have in no way, quote-unquote, mastered anything here. This is a grand experiment. I'm loving it. Um, and it's working very well so far for me. And if anyone finds something useful in it, wonderful. But this is kind of particular to me as well. So here's the story. I wound up with a big house through a whole crazy set of circumstances. Keep three-bedroom house. Complete with a mortgage. Uh, right. And so, you know, all sorts of respon- or all sorts of home responsibilities around it that require cash. So, hmm, okay. It feels really empty for just little old me to be kicking around in this big place by myself. just doesn't feel like a human thing to do. How many bedrooms is this place? Like how big of a place are we talking about? It's like 2,200 feet, square feet inside. Um, three bedrooms, two bathrooms, big living room, big kitchen, couple, you know, sort of hallway and three-car garage space with one of them converted into a sort of cool storage room. So, what can I do here? Hmm. And it's kind of on the edge of suburbia. Like, I can hear traffic noise most any time. It's, you know, 10-minute drive into Woodenville, fairly large town. So? Uh, I believe Woodenville's population is 10,000. Okay, well, it's big to me. (laughs) (laughs) 
It's not even a 10-minute drive away. And I, I thought, you know, I really strongly believe in people living closer together and having this sort of village mentality and network and um, structure, and I'm going to transform suburbia. And I'm going to make this place a permaculture paradise to the best of my ability, and I cannot do it on my own. I weigh 100 pounds. There's only so much soil I can move and only so many hay bales I can lift. How is this going to work? Well, fortunately, I've been working at Wilderness Awareness School for a number of years, both with all the skills that they teach in terms of natural history awareness and primitive living skills, but also with peacemaker principles. How do people get along? What do you have to work out? What do you have to communicate? So not just looking at the ecology of the plants and birds and soil and rain, but also human relationships. And how do you figure stuff out when you're in proximity? That's actually kind of, to me, the most important survival skill (laughs) if you're going to be really stuck on a desert island with people. So um, there were a number of students I had worked with there, and I wanted to support them. They seemed really interested in what I was doing here. So I rented out all the rooms of my house, basically, to them. And they cover the cash expenses of the house. They love helping out. Well, I shouldn't speak for them, but they're very willing to help out with all sorts of activities around here, whether it's helping with the horses when I'm away or finding and bringing back great food to eat or cooking a meal or sweeping the kitchen or just sitting down to have a chat and a cup of tea. All these things are really important to me. And that's from the people who live here. There are other people in my neighborhood. I have an amazing friend and neighbor around the corner who's, you know, a sort of really dear friend and going up to her house for dinner or she comes here and, you know, someone stops by and drops off a load of firewood just because it's a nice thing to do and they know me. People have been so amazingly supportive. So in that sense, I don't have a lot of cash outlays, and I just arrange things with the people in the house, um, and it works really well. It has required the trade-off of giving up this cultural sense of um, sort of my own bedroom or like X amount of space or I have to maintain things a particular way. Um, Hmm. So I'm going to jump in with some stupid, with a really obnoxious observation, just real quick. And that's when I was a kid, mm-hmm. I watched a television show called WKRP in Cincinnati, and then it had this gal who was the receptionist. Mm-hmm. And then whenever the storyline of the television show talked about her, there was always like, uh, oh, if you go to my house, there'll be something in the oven. Just go ahead and eat whatever that is. Well, why do you have something in the oven? Oh, Raul, my neighbor, puts that there Mm -hmm. every day. There's some food there. And, of course, the idea is that she's this beautiful woman, and so then there's like this this ocean of guys (laughs) that are constantly trying to win her affection by I don't know, putting food in her oven. <laughs> uh, um, so um, I just I, so anyway, I'm wondering how much of that might be something might be part of the uh, the the Alexia Allen allure that that we seem to have collected so much of on on the uh, the YouTube channel versus like what other people can do. And I do think that there's a lot to be said for certain personalities will attract this, 
and certain personalities not so much. But the key is, is nothing else that um, there is a pattern of, of life that that, that is, has come here, that it is happening, it's, mm-hmm. it's here. And while not everyone might be able to pull it off, you at least have, have established a path. And and it is and it is working. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, community connections in so many different flavors. Now the thing I was getting to was the financial aspect. I mean, it's this financial aspect that is so often um, uh, uh, keeps people enslaved in their mind mm-hmm. as to how they are allowed to live their lives. And on a previous podcast, I interviewed the author of Early Retirement Extreme, where he um, advocates a variety of different things so that people could retire after five years of of labor to the the grand workforce um, and to be on a path where, you know, things... But I think, think in a way, you have a recipe that's even better than the recipe that he came up with in his book. And that is that um, rather than having a bedroom, um, is the idea to not. I mean, if nothing else, like you've got a little barn over there. Mm-hmm. You know, I imagine that you could throw a sleeping bag up in there some night. I have slept in there plenty. I know that you mentioned sleeping under the stars. I imagine away from the porch where you once pointed that you slept under the stars. Mm-hmm. I, ima- I know that one time I was here and there was a tent set up out back. I mm-hmm. can imagine you doing some tenting. Mm-hmm. Um, I uh, I don't know. It just, it just seems like um, you're not as tied to the need for a bedroom as, I mean, we, we basically project on the people, you have to have a bedroom. I mean, that's just the way it is. And, and um, the, the concept of living with other people is something that most people refuse to do. But, but you're doing it. As an adult, not as like, you know, you're 19 mm-hmm. years old and there's really no other mm-hmm. way. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so, could I live in a dorm? I'm going to share my room. In fact, there's mm-hmm. been a lot of people that are 19 that there's like three or four people in one room because mm-hmm. then they're cutting their expenses that much and it gives them a little bit more freedom. But um, at a certain point, you get a certain level of maturity and like, oh, that's not the way to do it. But you're saying, okay, I've done the thing where I had my own room mm-hmm. I li- and that you like this better mm-hmm. and that effectively... I'm going to be so bold as to ask, I can imagine that the amount of money you might be able to collect for rent for the rooms could potentially be greater than the mortgage that you pay. It certainly could be. I mean, this is a highly experimental year for me, too, so I'm still figuring out a lot of those details, but it's working well, and I think primarily what's making it work well is from the psychological angle. And what it boils down to for me is that I feel at home outside. My real home is everywhere, not just a particular square footage within this house. I feel so comfortable outside, and that's what makes it possible for me, and I understand that's not for everyone, too. And for some people, working a job might be wonderful in what they want to do. So I don't, while my experience may be useful... I can't, again, say that it's what everyone should do, although I think it's a very wonderful human way to live. Part of me doing this as an adult was that I wanted to live in a family situation. I want to make a household with other people and all the work that that entails. And it's not easy, necessarily, and it requires more wisdom than I sometimes have, But at least I have the sense that I'm gaining it, I'm enjoying living this way, 
and it is something that is at least a possible future for a lot of people. We are social primates, after all. How many meals do you all share per week? Or even how many meals do you eat alone versus not alone? Like, I don't know, I'm trying to ask, like, because I really think that's like like the number one metric (laughs) when you live with others, because I believe Mm -hmm. that there is enormous value in sharing meals with other people, that that's a huge perk. And I think a lot of people don't realize how huge of a perk it is until you've been there. But now my my number one curiosity at this mm-hmm. moment, even though I've got tons of other things mm-hmm. to say, my number one curiosity is how many meals per week do you share with somebody in your house? <laughs> Boy, often I'm like, phew, do I ever get a chance to eat alone anymore? Like <laughs> so there are 21, three meals a day, seven days a week. That's 21 meals per week. Boy, yeah, I I personally usually eat two meals a day, but I sort of, I often joke that you know the real reason I'm living with all these people is so that I have wonderful people to cook for all the time because I love cooking and cooking for myself just meh, doesn't always you know I'm not always that motivated, but we all love cooking in various ways and just amazing spontaneous meals happen here on a regular basis with people in the house with other students at wilderness awareness school with neighbors who wander by so uh the culinary the culinary arts are alive and well in particular in that in that generous welcoming sense so stop on by Hawthorne Farm for, for a meal any old time. There's usually something good on the stove. One meal out of ten you might eat by yourself. Yeah. Okay. That's that's about what, what I was guessing. Mm-hmm. All right. So um, now I want to talk about the decision-making process. Mm-hmm. Now, for a lot of intentional communities, which for most permaculture folks are going to sign up with an intentional community where it's a consensus-based process, I'm going to guess that that's not happening here and that instead – that you have uh you you are both uh the evil dictator and at the same time everybody's personal servant and it seems like there's this tenuous relationship of the people who are here need to be happy but at the same time um there's lines to be drawn because some people with when you bring in four other people into a community, each person has their own bucket of psychology. And the standard human reaction is is that this person seems like they're okay with being my servant, and so now I'm going to give them a list of things that they're going to do. And so then you have to draw a line, and it's like, I'm kind of your servant, and at the same time, I'm kind of your boss. I kind of run your life, and at the same time, I'm happy to do all kinds of awesome things for you. And, it's, and then if you pick the wrong wrong one or if you start making assumptions about how this goes down, you might find yourself not living here anymore. On the other hand, I really need you to live here because not only do I need your rent, but I really like you and I really like your company. And so it's a it's a delicate relationship, but at the same time as time passes it gets stronger and then but because of that strength at times it could probably become um painful as the need comes for somebody to move down the road. Um, all these things, all this mix, but but it's not consensus. You are in charge. <laughs> I was worried when I started contemplating this model that it was going to get too futile. I was like, am I just going <clears> to... <throat> yeah, how is it going to work? Especially and futile if... is indeed what it is. Well, I, I don't... I think of it more as a benign dictatorship. Um <laughs> And I did plenty of thinking ahead of time about what my boundaries were 
in terms of, you know, what I expected and tried to be as clear and upfront as possible before people moved in. I said, okay, you know, here are my deal breakers. And one of them is lack of communication. I, I'm really not so worried about um, what might be up or, like, if your rent's going to be late or something like that. But you need to tell me. If we, if we actually hear from each other and can sit down and talk, I'm pretty, I'm quite confident we can work out a solution. So that um, was really important to me going into all this. I also knew all these people before they came in and respected them and really felt close and like these are people I wanted to support as they go through their apprenticeship year at Wilderness Awareness School. Most of them are Wilderness Awareness School apprentices. So that has been really helpful. I I think that me being here and sort of being the glue of the household is also important. Like just me dedicated to, hey, okay, I'm going to sweep the kitchen because no one else got around to it. And being as peaceful as I can with that kind of, mm, I don't know, den mother approach. But again, that sort of relates to my my sense of nurturing a family, making a household and how enjoyable that is for me. I've been reading lots of Wendell Berry over the past couple of years, so I think that's influenced my sense of mm, where I want to put my time and what I want to focus on. And creating a mellow and productive household is what I want to do, and it's what I'm doing. I want to talk about the vibe that's here. I want to talk about um, people coming here. You mentioned how you have people coming here uh, and and bringing things and um, how you are just sharing everything with everybody and um, and there's there's something to be said for that. I, I have my own experiences in this space where I have been in environments where it's like I feel like I want to go get stuff to bring to all these people and because it's just so awesome to be part of this group and at the same time I've been in groups of people probably more often where things somehow didn't quite gel and um, uh, it was uh, it ended up not lasting mm-hmm. so um, I've been to places where it does last like for example Bullock Brothers Farm mm-hmm. there's clearly this thing where everybody who comes there just wants to be there for years Mm-hmm. as is evidenced by interns that sign up for three months and they stay for two years. Mm-hmm. That's like the normal thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, some interns have been there for even more, but, you know, mm-hmm. um, and, and there are certain places where this just happens, where this just gels, and it seems like you've got kind of this loose community-ish thing where there's the people who live here, and then there's the, the satellite community of all these people who come by all the time, mm-hmm. and they love being here, they love bringing things for the group, um, and I'm sure there's probably music here almost every other night, um, and not because it's a scheduled, but entirely because people have instruments and they love music. Right. So I would just correct you to say that it's not my approach to share everything with everybody. There are pretty, there are very clear 
There's a very clear setup here about what is what. The elk jerky that I make <laughs> is for me. <laughs> and if you are eating my elk jerky, you had better have a darn good reason because it's clearly labeled in a bag that says Alexia's jerky on it. So there are things like that where I figure out what's really important to me and what am I willing to share. You mentioned earlier that you were a 100-pound woman. Mm-hmm. However, I want to point out to the people listening that you always have a knife with you and it's sitting, it's on your uh, hip right now. Mm-hmm. So people eating your elk jerky should be aware of this. <laughs> There's a certain ferocity required to maintain proper boundaries. It's just part of, you know, respecting each other. And that's also what I expect of all the people who live here. Hey, speak up for yourself. You know, you are, you need to be clear about what you want and then we can all figure out how, it's, how we'll work together. So maintaining each of ourselves as strong individuals. And then also even underlying that is that everyone has some sort of connection to nature. I find a palpable difference in groups of people when everyone is taking the time to sit outside, when everyone is taking the time to um, understand the natural world more. To me, that's one of the things that helps my community flourish, and that's what I want to see in the people around me. So we all encourage each other in that here, and I think that really helps. And then, again, maintaining that rich and diverse ecology of human relationships. Again, who has which resources? Who can help with what? Who would be really excited to come over and do a wool uh, spinning and felting day here? Who is able to dig this trench faster than anybody else? So those sorts of things and knowledge and relationships are really important to me. So it's, you know, I know that there are some intentional communities out there where they have a sense of obligation built in. If you're going to live here, you're going to pay this much in rent, and you have to put in 10 hours per month. And those, they don't, to me, when I've been there, they don't seem to have the kind of vibe where things gel, where where things happen. And a lot of the people, even though they're required to put in 10 hours, they don't even put in one hour per month. And their attitude is kind of like, fucking make me. And and even though they signed up with this whole communi- community kind of feeling, this whole, I mean, they signed up, they want that which you have here or is at the Bullock Brothers Farm. They want that. And, and and it's like this recipe has been laid out. They are angry and they don't do it and things like that. And I kind of feel like part of it part of it is is that that sense of obligation ruins it because then instead of doing it because you want to because it would be cool, you're doing it because you have to. Right. And I think that that having that sense of obligation ruins it. But now I would imagine that. The only obligation anybody here has is to, is to pay rent, mm-hmm. and they don't have any other obligation. They don't have any obligation to put in a certain number of work or anything like that. Is that accurate? That is, especially because the people who live here, some of them are super busy, you know, or have, have a job and are also doing an apprenticeship program where they're learning mentoring techniques. You know, they are out and about a fair amount. And, again, this is the part of the conversations that I had with them before they moved in. Hey, if you want to just pay your rent, pay the utility bill, and you know, have a place to store your stuff, that is okay. You know, I'm not asking you to somehow be this instant family member or 
you know, give away your life because you have a different level of investment in this place than I do. I've been really clear when I've been living in places I've rented and so forth over the years, just about that sense of investment in a place. And currently, I'm the most invested one in whether the front door gets repainted or whether the windows are clean. So that's the sort of stuff that I know is my responsibility to handle. And people might be totally excited and willing to help me and we can sing fun songs while we process hazelnuts on the front porch. So there are ways to make it appealing. But I know that I'm most invested here and I don't want to unrealistically expect that level of investment from others. And that's totally fine. I've actually kind of been called in to some marriages where um, things were less than optimal, and I and and I and it seems like on a lot of these where you know it is kind of more rural, it is kind of more um, semi-community esque, and a lot of these where they were on the verge of um, parting ways forever. I felt that what was at the core of the problem was that there was a list. And and this list, every time I've seen the list, it was the wife had a list mm-hmm. of projects for the husband to do. <laughs> and 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 in fact, one marriage, it was like as I just had sat down with them and they were asking me these questions, the husband basically made a sense of like, I think we need to just file for divorce today. Today's the last day. I mean, you know, this breakfast was our last meal, and it's done. So, so, the, and in that particular case, this is uh, what I've done in several of these times when I've been pulled in. Is, is, is I've said, here, let me help you. See this list here that says this is a list of things for him to do. Mm-hmm. And I just took a pencil, I scratched out his name, and I put in her name. Mm-hmm. This is a list of things for you to do. If he ever does anything on this list mm-hmm. now, mm-hmm. it's because he wants to, mm-hmm. not because it's out of a sense of obligation, but it's because it's a gift to you because he mm-hmm. thinks you're cool, mm-hmm. not because he's contractually obligated to be your personal bitch. <laughs> so, um, and, and now when he does this, you have to thank him profusely for doing this for you. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it, it's not, and then any time that you guys enter into an agreement, like I'll do this if you do this, don't ever do that. Mm-hmm. Because if you do that now, for the second party to come through with their part, they have to do it. It's out of a sense of obligation. So, okay, I've, I've kind of gone off on a tangent here, but um, <laughs> I do kind of think that building in an obligation into a community system is something that is going to doom the community. Mm-hmm. And, um, uh, and I don't think that's – on the other hand, paying rent is something that does not doom the community. We all know what rent is, and we can all sign up in ahead of time and say, I'll pay this much rent. Mm-hmm. And basically, that's ours. You know, they got to go off, and somehow they got to come up with that money, and that's, mm-hmm. that's, a, that's their own responsibility that doesn't have to do with the community. And then, of course, there's a lot of people that probably participate in your community several times a week. They come here several times, and they don't even live here. Mm-hmm. But they enjoy the music, they enjoy the company, and they enjoy all the perks of being here, but they don't have to pay any rent. <laughs> no obligation. Mm-hmm. So um, I want to uh, quickly convey a story, um, and and it's kind of like, I, I think I've conveyed it in this podcast before. I know I've conveyed it in this podcast before. 
And it's the one of the 540 meals where I was part of a, of a um, uh, budding new community and I provided 540 meals. And my, my intent was to prove that this doesn't always work. And um, uh, and and, it, and it, I did. I only got two meals back. I mean, there, there's there's a part of this thing where it's like, oh, if I go out and I give a hundred meals, if I provide a hundred plates of food, then in time I'll get a hundred plates of food back. And um, uh, and it's not it's not an absolute. And I think that there's a lot of things that go behind it. And when people start talking about how it's an absolute, I always bring this 540 meals thing up as proof that it's not an absolute. So I, I do think that there's a lot that needs to happen in order to pull it off. And I think some people, it's like some people have a green thumb, and I'm not one of them, but some people do. They just have this knack. And I, and I think that, you know, you are one of those people that have a knack where community forms around you and, and things go smoothly. Um, and for the rest of us, we have to struggle to figure it out and get it to work. Now, granted, it's an ongoing experiment. It hasn't, probably hasn't always been as smooth as it is now. Right. But right now, you are in the magic. You, it, it's working. It's happening. Things are awesome. Mm -hmm. And a lot of it comes from you're willing to live far more humbly than most people. Um, and, uh, the benefit, and the thing that you seek is to have this community. You, you enjoy it. You want it. You want to nurture it. And a lot of it, I'm guessing, based on the things you said, it's like, I'm not quite sure how this even works or how it even happened. And you're shaking your head no. All right. Well, I'm in the sense that I can't explain this. I don't know what's happening or why in, its all, in all its particulars. I am just guided by my own sense of integrity, what feels good, um, what feels like the appropriate thing in terms of my life and the community around me, and just taking good care of myself. And it, anyhow, and I continue to say thank you. <laughs> and it seems to be working out. I mean, and, and so you, you, you've hit the magic spot, and, and you're very happy. Um, uh, uh, things here are going uh, swimmingly, and, and yeah, there's the occasional bump on the road, and then you have to iron that out. But um, uh, And so all, all is well. I, I think that um, uh, the important thing is, is a, a rich and awesome life, and um, when you wake up in the morning, you don't, have to go to any job, um, and uh, and so it's it's a path that that could be worth other folks considering. And and you know what? Even if even if uh, if you had a room available, mm -hmm. then then somebody would have to come up with um, you know probably I want to guess you probably rent your rooms for about five hundred bucks a month, six hundred bucks a month. It seems like that's the going rate around here. Mm -hmm. So somebody could be part of this and he have like even a fraction of the responsibilities that you have, but all they have to do is be able to come up with this little bit of money every month and then they're in also. Mm -hmm. um, I would uh, imagine that some people might even be able to, you would probably uh, be okay if somebody were to like uh, have a homesteading based business using some small part of your land, you might be open to the idea of working something out in that space and that that's how they would pay their rent. Um, so. And so you're kind of making yes faces, like, yeah, sure, what the hell? <laughs> <laughs> there are lots of different things to try. I feel, well, my suspicion is that I'll have more to say on the topic after doing this for 10 years, you know, 10 years from now. Have the so. experiment keep going, the pilot but project. that <laughs> is where the rubber meets the road more, so... Um, 
I'm I'm really excited. I can't wait to find out what happens next. Is there a list of rules or anything like that? I'm going to guess that there's not even a list of rules. And again, sort of the, the expectations that we all set up in the beginning around how we communicate with each other and what's important to each of us and here are here's what's important to me as sort of the, the person who's the glue in the household and who's really invested in this place. And then we just go from there. So it's not like you guys sit down and there's a list of rules on paper. It's all more like, okay, we're all people and um either you're gonna fit or you're not. You know, and and so it's um but you know it should work out fine as long as we all if you have if you have a concern, just let me know. Right, and I have you know nothing personal if this place doesn't turn out to be a good place for you to live. Like, on you go, someone else will will come along and take the space. And we have things like, all right, let's keep this section of the kitchen counter clear at all times, <laughs> or just a little like smoothing techniques um, for being together. But it's also not something to overthink. I find if I really like think about it too hard. It starts feeling cumbersome, and just staying in touch with um, with the community, with how people feel, checking in, having good communication, that seems to help things flow more naturally. Because I do believe that this is a pretty natural, comfortable way for people to live, for me to live. All right. So, uh, anything else to add to this podcast? Mm, maybe just one resource that I have found really helpful, which is called the Kamana Naturalist Training Program. It basically has gotten me outside over the past 13 years to observe. And again, I've found that one of the cornerstones of developing my land here and that whole permaculture idea of observation. So for what it's worth, that's been really helpful to me. How do you spell Kamana? K-A-M-A-N-A. Oh, just, just like it sounds. <laughs> oh, good. That's so easy. Yeah. 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 Um, and so this this Kamana thing, um, is it like a physical location? Is it a book? It's just a book. It's a correspondence course. And full disclosure, I'm an instructor for it through Wilderness Awareness School. But I started doing it well before I'd ever heard of Wilderness Awareness School or well before I had... Um, come here and done anything significant with them. So I have really found it a helpful tool. That's the only other thing I could think of in terms of, okay, where do I go from here? Because wherever you are, I mean, there are Kamana students who are observing rooftops in Manhattan or really wild parts of Alaska or parts of Australia, and it just seems to help people connect to their place. And I've seen hundreds of students over the years get that out of it. And I would say that's one of the foundations, again, for, for me, of enjoying life and figuring out what to do next. I, I did a podcast <clears throat> a while ago with Jack Spirko, who run, has a huge following with his podcast called The Survival Podcast. And, and I think that there's a lot of overlap between what you were just talking about and the stuff that he talks about. Although... Um, I, I think that the one thing when it comes to the survival thing, as well as I would say the wilderness awareness thing or the, um, uh, uh, well, is, is the idea that if a person is sitting in a cubicle at some corporate job somewhere, but 
they have this stuff in their head about if they go out in the wilderness, they can live a shitty life out in the wilderness. That wilderness. I mean, it'll be hard. It'll it'll be, and the food won't be so good. It won't be as tasty. But you can get by. You can live. You can have your little debris hut. You can have a fire that you built using who knows what. Um, you know, a, a bow drill, which you so aptly demonstrated in one of my videos. Um, but you can you can you can get by, and therefore. When you're at that job, you're there because you choose to be, not because you have to be. Just by having that thing in your head that gives you the ability to, to survive out there, to be able to do that. So now it seems like a lot of the stuff that you were just talking about effectively kind of gives you that space. Now, in the podcast I did a couple of months ago, the idea was that you've got your plan A and you've got your plan B. Once you've taken a little bit of survival training or a little bit of wilderness awareness training, you've developed a plan B. Now everything you do in your plan A world is because you want to, not because you have to. And then eventually you start to grow your plan A world to, to smell a little bit more like plan B. And you grow your plan B world to smell a little bit more like plan A. And effectively, once you've merged A and B together, that's homesteading. Mm -hmm. that's, that's living on a little patch of land and you're growing most of your own food. You've got your plan A and your plan B together. And now you've taken that homesteading thing to the next level because a lot of people get there and it's a struggle. But you've taken it to the next level where it's not a struggle anymore. And it's hard work, but it's not a struggle, I would say. Yeah. But you know, all the hard work you do is like, hey, hey, hey. You know, be cool. So excited to do this. You know, be cool. You know, be awesome. You go do this. Oh, 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 I got an idea. I'm gonna go and I'm gonna make this thing, and it's gonna do this, and it's gonna be so. It's gonna be so cool. Everybody's gonna come by. They're gonna see it. They're gonna say that's so cool. How'd you think of that? Something like that, as opposed to like, I gotta get up. I gotta go to my job and work for Mr. Johnson again. Yeah. Oh. He's so mean. <laughs> is, is this accurate? I, Paul, you think about these things too much, though. <laughs> well, that's like, true. You know, but I am trying to change the world, and part of the mission is is to put the ideas in people's heads, to infect the brains out there so that they can um, be happier and they can travel a path where uh, rather than, I don't know, I, 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 I'm approached by thousands of people mm -hmm. who are frustrated and sad and just going nuts, and they're like, how, how do I get to happiness? And it's like there's no, it's not obvious. It's mm -hmm. like they are trapped. Mm -hmm. They are fucked for life. There is no way out, ever. Mm -hmm. and, and it's kind of like, so the answer is so enormous that there's no way I can just say something because they're looking for like the one minute thing and it's right. not there. And so what I'm doing is, is through all these podcasts, through all the forums, through all the mm -hmm. videos, I throw out these little pieces and as people get all the little pieces, then eventually it starts to make sense. Oh, yeah. And, it, and it all ends up at permaculture. I mean, everything. 
the economic stuff, the, 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 the world is going to collapse stuff, uh, all of the stuff about my life sucks stuff, mm-hmm. all things, everything, everywhere, all ends up at permaculture. Mm-hmm. And, and so it's like, okay, so what do I do? Mm-hmm. And, and, and so I started doing all of this out of attempting to respond to somebody, but they needed to hear it in one minute. And I didn't have a one-minute thing to say. So by getting, by saying all of this and getting it all out there, I'm, this is all the things I want to say to those people. Granted, yes, I think about it too much. And part of the reason I think about it too much is because I don't have a green thumb. Mm-hmm. Um, because I don't have the natural ability that you have. To, I mean, like, just by sitting here and being you, community is going to form around you. I don't have this. I, I, I repel people. <laughs> I, I people, uh, and, 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 and of course, part of that is, like, I'm totally, I totally like that. In fact, we talked about this. Mm-hmm. My magic overalls. I've mm-hmm. never in a podcast mentioned this before. Mm-hmm. And so I've had um, hundreds of people tell me that if I would just stop wearing overalls, I would stop offending so many people. More, more people would find me approachable. And it's like, no, I don't want to be approached by people that are offended by overalls. <laughs> no, no, overalls, do your job. Repel those people. Mm-hmm. So then um, I was kind of talking to you before we started the podcast a little bit about not having a bedroom mm-hmm. and how, for a lot of people, the idea of not having your own personal bedroom would be something that they could never possibly do because um, suddenly they would have no romantic partners. They would It's like all these other people would be like... Um, I'm not interested in you. You don't even have a bedroom. You're like you're like a bum, you know. And it's like uh, uh, there's no place where we can go and privately be intimate. And it's, there's nothing like that in your world. And I'm thinking, I bet that there is, um, but you know, it's like not the way that you used to. But it's like at the same time, you you know, you're going to repel a mountain, an ocean of people in that space. But then. There's going to be a few who are, who are going to make it through that filter who are going to be like, hey, that's kind of cool. <laughs> and so then those are your people. Now you don't have to sift through all of these people to find the people that are a match for you. Instead, the only people that make it through are the people that are your people. For me, the, the only people who approach me, the people who come to me, the only people that are interested in talking to me at all are people who are like, get past the whole overalls thing. It's like, uh, hey, you're wearing overalls. That's kind of cool. Mm-hmm. And so now... Anyway, so this is this is a point, which I think is a good point, but I don't know. Maybe I've gone off on a crazy-ass tangent, and I should give you a, a moment to say whatever. Well. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing to say? I'm not sure that there is any sort of actual question in there. Uh, um, true. Which is fine. I, uh... Hmm. You have nothing to say. <laughs> okay, which is cool. <laughs> I either have nothing to say or a great deal to say. Um, but maybe I should leave it as not much to say, except okay. that my my anyone who's my sweetheart can deal quite effectively with the situation. I'm sure. And your point was, I think too much. And I, I, I believe you're correct. I believe you are a natural at all the things that I wish to master, but I am not a natural at. Hmm. Valid? Well, I, I certainly can't speak for you. One of the things I have noticed is in my tendency to think too much, 
is that living my life in a way that's happy and content involves not thinking as much or being able to just pay attention to the actual sensory input I'm getting and a little more of a whole body experience rather than purely intellectual. And that seems to be, for me, what helps my life have richness and that emotional connection with others and with the world around me. So maybe that would be just one one of those ideas to toss around, so to speak. Well, I, I think that the path that you're on is going to be that you're going to have a wonderful community of, uh, I mean, basically you're there. The, the, the world that, that is your natural fit to make you ultimately happy is what you have right now. You have a group of lovely people that are all under one roof, and you have a much larger group of people that are outside of that roof but come by all the time and you interact with them, and everything is spectacularly awesome. I, on the other hand, am seeking world domination. Mm-hmm. Kind of a different path. I mean, I kind of want to make. I, I kind of want to to make blueprints for what you have and get it repeated a million times. I used to want to do that. I used to have these sort of really grandiose visions. And again, this is not to comment on what you were doing, which is probably <laughs> wonderful in its in its own way. But for me, I started to realize, okay, I'm limited in my world domination scope, but what can I do right here? And I really like um, the comment from a student who came and said, wow, you know, Alexia, this, this doesn't feel like suburbia at all. You know, and I, and I have this great notion of recolonizing suburbia, so to speak. Okay, you know, we've got all this area that's been lawns, I'm going to dig it up and do vegetable beds and have a goat on it and see how that goes. So that's been really fun for me. I think that um, uh, perhaps perhaps our relationship was meant to be that here you are, you are the seed, and I am the guy that can take your one seed and turn it into a thousand. And, you know, we'll see if we can – because – I've I've got to, I've got a pretty large audience right now, and and then I don't know I I think that what you're doing is indeed the important thing to, to convey, and so so in effect the thing that you thought you wanted ages ago you let that go and you focus just on your own community, mm-hmm. and maybe through this podcast um, you kind of are getting that thing that you wished for ages and ages ago. It is a joy to share anything that could be useful to others. Really, three-quarters of the fun of this, at least, is in being able to share it with others. I think it's going to be great to come back periodically, mm-hmm. see how things are going, see that things are still you know, on the right track of awesomeness. And <clears throat> I would imagine that there's going to be lots of different flavors of awesomeness. And I think there will be lots more questions from people. And there's like gobs and gobs of things to talk about, about uh, um, all kinds of different homesteading stuff that's going on here. And so it would be good to convey all of that. So I'm going to wrap this podcast up. Uh, if you like this sort of thing, come on out to the forums at permies.com where we talk about community, homesteading, and permaculture all the time. Mm-hmm.